This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. I think a lot of people are aware that probiotics are healthy for us, and manufacturers basically slap that term on all kinds of different products. I've seen it even in baking mixes, which makes no sense given that it's going to be heated and the probiotics are heat sensitive, so they're going to be destroyed by the cooking process. So I think there's a lot of stuff out there where people have to be very careful because they're simply not going to get benefit from a lot of those products. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn which probiotics are best for the patient. We'll find out how to spring clean your cookware. We'll discuss why flip-flopping keeps you stuck. And lastly, we'll explore smoothies for spring. But first, a little bit of business. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Dr. Ludo Burnell is a naturopathic physician trained at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. Prior to his training as a doctor, he studied human nutrition at McGill University in Montreal. He spent the last 17 years helping patients optimize their health through better lifestyle and dietary supplementation. His passion remains educating the public, his patients and colleagues. He's a contributor to this show. Welcome back, Ludo. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me back. I'm very excited to be on the show again. So today, you're not going to take off your your ND hat, okay? We're going to pretend like you're speaking to the patient, and we're going to talk about the best probiotics for the patient, okay? Excellent. Okay, so normally we think that supplements are developed to offer, you know, the very best for patients. But are your patients reporting that they're getting the best results from probiotics? It really depends. It's it's a very good question. Uh, I've talked about probiotics on the show before. They're very important for our health. They're also one of the best research natural supplements out there. In the medical literature, there's over 35,000 published papers on probiotics. And so in terms of benefits, we should expect a lot from probiotics, whether it is uh, whether we're looking at regulating our bowels or improving immunity, in some cases uh, for heart disease, prevention of infections, lots and lots of benefits. But of course, we have to use a product that's going to deliver what we need for the effect. And often, I find that that's the issue. Patients are either using an older product that's been sitting around for a long time, or they're not using a product that's properly formulated, and they're not getting the benefits that they're looking for, unfortunately. Okay. So I guess you could say the goal of this show would be to sort of maximize the benefits of probiotics and give people an understanding of what they need to look for in order to do that, right? Absolutely. And I think it's important to understand both what probiotics are, which is basically bacteria, which should be considered a live food, and also what's important in terms of delivering those uh, probiotics effectively. All right, so let's go back to part one, which is food. 
There are food products uh, that I think of as having probiotic capabilities, and we've discussed them before, you and I, like kefir and sauerkraut. I mean, those are probably the ones that people know the best. But there are products out there that are being marketed as probiotic. You know, like I can think of off the top of my head, I've seen dried fruit that people are marketing as probiotic. Like, what's your take on that? Yeah, so that's a really important uh, topic. So often people will tell me, or patients will tell me, I'm already consuming fermented food. But I think a lot of people are misled. So let's think, for example, of pickles. A lot of people think, oh, I'm getting pickled food, and so therefore I'm getting fermented food, which should have that beneficial bacteria. Mm -hmm. But that's wrong. Most of the pickled food in our grocery stores right now are pasteurized. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, they have to be pasteurized to be shelf-stable. Yeah. Exactly. And so if you're trying to get a food that's going to contain healthy bacteria, usually it should be kept in the fridge. And unfortunately... Most of the things in our grocery stores are pasteurized. We add a little bit of vinegar to them, lots of salt, and all the bacteria is gone. So a lot of people, I think, don't understand that. Now, there are some food that will deliver probiotics. You're right. Unfortunately, again, we want to look at, is this really healthy for me? And the biggest problem that I see is that often uh, foods that are, are portrayed to deliver probiotics and healthy bacteria are chock full of sugar. Think of uh, yogurt, for example, or I've seen them in fruit juice. You know, that's not really healthy for you. Gummy bears, very, very high in sugar. And so I think it's important in terms of, you know, is this something that's healthy for me? And if it packs, you know, 15 grams of sugar per portion, that's not a great way of getting probiotics, especially when we think that most experts now say that we should get fermented foods or healthy bacteria two or three times a day. Yep. And that's just sort of one issue about foods being touted as probiotic. You know, sometimes it's just a sales gimmick, isn't it? Absolutely. So I think a lot of people are aware that probiotics are healthy for us and manufacturers basically slap that term on all kinds of different products. I've seen it even in baking mixes, which makes no sense given that's going to be heated and the probiotics are, are heat sensitive, so they're going to be destroyed by the cooking process. So I think there's a lot of stuff out there where people have to be very careful because they're simply not going to get benefits from a lot of those products. Right. Okay. So in light of what you said, is it possible to get the requisite amount of probiotics through our food? That's a great question. So again, you know, let's think of sauerkraut. If, if you think of sauerkraut, most of us think of cabbage that's been fermented with salt, sometimes with spices. Yep. It would contain a lot of beneficial bacteria. But then if, if we think of the sauerkraut that we get in our grocery stores, it's been cooked to destroy all that bacteria so that it can stay on a shelf for an extended period of time. Real sauerkraut would be in the fridge. Unfortunately, it's not really that popular yet, and so it can be quite difficult for patients to find. So, and again, you know, although all those foods or fermented foods are good for us, um, they're not readily available. Um, they tend to be, you know, a lot of patients will get frustrated if I try to tell them to seek out those products. And so typically I find that it's a lot better to simply take a probiotic. Okay. So, you know, in summary, it is possible, but you can't delude yourself. You have to find the natural products that don't have the stabilizers that are refrigerated. I'm thinking like maybe like an organic kimchi might be available or the kefir if it's organic. Yeah. 
those are two good examples, absolutely. Those two products would be a good way of getting some of those healthy bacteria. Again, though, you're looking at two or three servings a day. Wow, okay. But it can be a way. The other problem with foods is that a lot of them are not going to be specific to a certain concentration of those bacteria. Right. And so, you know, although for lifestyle, it can be something that's excellent to incorporate, more fermented foods. If we're looking for more therapeutic effects from probiotics or from those bacteria, often it's going to be a better idea to use a probiotic that's guaranteed to deliver a certain quantity of bacteria in the same dose that you're getting. And so it will often be better at, uh, you know, stabilizing gut function. So for patients that have issues with things like constipation, diarrhea, IBS, often a probiotic is going to be a better way of going um, than just fermented food alone. Okay, so even if we're relying on supplements, which you're recommending, not all supplements are the same, right? Like there are issues with the supplements as well, right? Yeah, so again, if, if we make a parallel between the food that we pasteurize that it can stay on a shelf for a very long time, we see something similar happening with probiotics. Most, A lot of the most beneficial strains of bacteria need refrigeration. You know, we're talking about a probiotic, it's a live bacteria. Unfortunately, a lot of companies are now recommending products that are shelf-stable, but I feel that that's really compromising the effectiveness of a product for something that is more convenient and probably better for the company in the end, right? Like, yeah. think of the sauerkraut again. Why do we pasteurize that? It's, it's not for the health of the consumer in the end. It's because it's going to be easier to distribute. It's going to be more convenient to leave it on a shelf. There's no refrigeration cost. And so there's a parallel there with probiotics. A lot of manufacturers would rather have a product that's shelf-stable because it's easier to distribute. It's going to be more visible on the shelf in the health food store. But, you know, we're using the probiotic for a specific reason. It's for the health benefit. And and choosing a product because it's shelf-stable and removing a whole bunch of different strains of bacteria like lactobacilli, bifidobacteria that are some of the most researched and, and most valuable strains. They get excluded for a product that, you know, we're told is going to be more convenient. But in the end, we all have a fridge. It's not a big deal to keep the probiotics refrigerated, and um, it's going to maximize the effectiveness of the product. And it's not just the effectiveness of the product in terms of the refrigeration. It's also how the body absorbs it too, right? We've discussed it before, but how, yeah. you know, how the body takes in the, the probiotics is relevant. Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's important to understand that our stomach acidity is designed to protect us from infections. And that includes infections from things like bacteria. And we have mentioned this before. In, in newborn children, one of the reasons why um, their gut gets colonized with bacteria so easily is simply because they don't produce a lot of uh, acid in their stomach yet. But then as, as we grow as into adults, start eating more protein, the acidity of our stomach is, becomes extremely powerful. And uh, not only will it, will it digest our food, but it will also break down bacteria. And so usually we need a product that's going to be protected from that. And enterically coated capsules will usually help to make sure that we're delivering that bacteria, that it will survive the stomach, and the, the enteric coating is then dissolved in the intestines where, it's, where the bacteria will have their effect. 
like knowing this is true, right? Like this is not news to anybody. The issue with refrigeration and enteric coating. Why do you think that companies aren't marketing probiotics in that, in that manner? Like what's going on? Well, again, I think it's a question of what's more convenient, uh, what's least expensive, you know, that they don't have to put the product into a refrigerator, so that saves some cost. I think the other thing is is in terms of sales, I think for visibility of the product, I think the product will do better if it's on a shelf versus in a fridge. But, you know, when someone is using a probiotic for their health, all of that, it shouldn't be the priority. The priority should be to deliver a product that's going to be as effective as it can be. And as I was mentioning, a lot of the bacteria that's most helpful for us needs refrigeration. Okay, so you've said the C word. So refrigeration and enteric coating are probably, well, you can tell me, aren't as convenient for the companies. They're more expensive. So how is that impacting the cost of probiotics for the consumer? So keeping a cold chain, right, from from the manufacturing all the way to the store adds cost, there's no doubt. And, of course, you know, once you buy the product, you have to keep it in your own fridge. So in terms of convenience for some people, that can be important. But, again, in terms of the health benefits of the product, that can be very important. The cost is not that significant, I think it's more the convenience and in terms of where the product can be in a store. Some stores don't want to put their probiotics in the refrigerator. They'd rather have them on the shelf. And so I think a lot of it is simply convenience from the retailers and the manufacturers. So from the manufacturer's perspective, you know, it's hard for them to get the shelf space. Like when I say shelf space, I mean sort of like figuratively, not literally, because not every store wants to have a refrigerated section dedicated to probiotics because it's more expensive for the retailer to have the refrigerated system. Is that pretty much it? I think so. I think that's a major incentive for these companies going towards uh, shelf-stable products. Just like when we think of our pickled fruit, it's been made to be shelf-stable simply because it's more convenient and less expensive to do it this way. Okay. So, you know, you probably have a lot of opportunity to speak with your patients about, you know, their needs with probiotics, but not everybody gets to an ND or even, uh, you know, a physician all the time. So if you were going to sort of give some advice to our listeners as to what to think about if they're getting probiotics, what are the important things to know? So we're looking for something that's going to need refrigeration, again, because we're going to get a better product that way. And we want to make sure that we're using something that's enterically coated. I often recommend that patients that uh, want to go to a health food store to pick up products, select the New Roots Herbal Probiotics. They have several different options that meet both criteria. One of their products that I often recommend is the Acidophilus Ultra, which is a formula that contains 11 different strains of bacteria. That's meant for daily use. Uh, for people that need more support, the colon care probiotics are uh, higher counts, so 90 billion count, and can deliver more benefits for patients that are looking for more support. But there's several different options, whether someone is traveling or if they're concerned about specific health problems. And again, they will have products that are complete, that will require refrigeration, and are also enterically coated. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. 
That was Dr. Ludo Brunel, ND. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss spring cleaning your cookware on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carolyn Tanner-Cohen is the owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for over 17 years and has a science background which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information, you can always visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show, Carolyn. How are you? Hi, Jamie. Great. The weather's getting better. (laughs) Yeah, it's springtime. Spring has sprung. Thank goodness. And we're talking about some clean... We're not even talking about food today, my friend. We're talking about cleaning. Yes. Because you got to cook in something clean, yes, whether it's your true. oven or fry pan. It's an important element, but I love my food. But you know what? I, I love clean food, so we should talk about cleaning, and not just cleaning, but gently cleaning, right? For sure. Well, I, I say gently cleaning because I don't like, it's not that I'm high almighty. I just, I have an allergy to uh, fragrances and stuff like that. So I try to use like a lot of natural cleanings in my cookware and in my kitchen so I'm not inhaling fumes all the time, especially if you spend a lot of time in there, okay? So let's talk about pots and pans and sheet pans and stuff first, okay? Because that's like the bigger topic. Yep. So, you know, I don't clean my pot, other than daily cleaning, I don't clean my pots and pans, like the exterior, all that often. I kind of let it build up just because I'm rushing and I'm working all the time. But about two or three times a year, I like to give my pots and pans and my sheet pans a really good deep clean, okay? Mm -hmm. So that stubborn brown stuff that never comes off with the average cleaner or your spongy, the green part of your sponge. So let's talk about 
how we do that. But I'm going to start off by saying there's a really good tool out there that's kind of new. It's called a copper cleaner, and it looks like a cloth, but it's made of copper, and you could put it on any pot and pan, pots and pan, or sheet or sheets, uh, cooking sheets, or even cast iron without damaging the exterior or the finish of your um, pots and pans, including cast iron, including coated cast iron, your, your Le Creuset, or your stainless, your good stuff. Wow. So, okay. Yeah, it's an amazing tool. And you could find it online, just Google Copper Cleaner, okay? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a cloth. It's not a solution. Okay, so let's start with the sheet pans because those are pretty stubborn. First and foremost, I always cover my sheet pans with a parchment or a foil so I have so I could avoid this. But it still happens. It, I mean, it, it still it, happens. Yeah, especially it, underneath, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what you do is you make a thick paste of baking soda and a small amount of regular hydrogen peroxide and wipe it all over the cookie sheet. So I'll do, these are like for your sheet pens. So I'll wipe a few of them with this stuff and I'll stack them. And I don't have a sink big enough to house a cookie sheet. So I'll just stack them on the kitchen counter. And if you're worried about your kitchen counter, you could always line it with parchment paper. Mm-hmm. Wait a few hours, like two hours or so. And then they will wipe clean beautifully. Just wash them, dry them well, and away you go. Do we have to worry about any of the residual effects of the hydrogen peroxide? No, you really don't. And you just have to really wash it with soap and water after. Okay. And remember, and it'll evaporate, by the way. But the best way to dry your pots and pans and cookie sheets are in the oven. Hmm. I don't know if you do that. But I do not. Okay, so when at, we're now we're going to digress because we really love to digress. But we do. After I use my pots, pans, and cookie sheets, generally, even like I just made dinner or whatever, instead of putting them on the drying rack or having somebody in my kitchen dry them as I wash them, mm-hmm. I throw them into my oven that is likely warm from dinner, and I'll leave them in there. I'll even maybe turn the oven on to like 250 or 300 for a few minutes and let them really, really dry out, and this way you'll avoid rust. Okay. Okay, so I do that. Pots and pans. So like the really stubborn stuff, I take a half a cup of baking soda. This is kind of a recipe, but it's equal parts. So baking soda, half a cup, and half a cup of white vinegar. So just equal parts with some hot water, okay? Mm -hmm. I put that in the sink. Make sure the sink is well plugged, and it'll bubble up like the science project you 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 used to see when you were kids. Yeah. And then you take your pot or pan or whatever you're cleaning, and put them in the sink in this bubbly mix and let it soak for 30 minutes or so and then scrub it away with the scrubby part of the sponge or the copper pat, the copper cloth that I was telling you about, which is like my life savior, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you got it clean, like no problem. The bottoms of the pots and pans are clean. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I like clean pots and pans, but I'm more concerned about the cooking surface than I am the outside. Like the, sure. the aesthetics, you know, doesn't really, obviously, we don't leave food on the pots or pans, but like some of those stains, like you really have to be dedicated to want to get them off. Well, it adds to the patina. It right? does. Yeah, That's of course. what I say in my kitchen. All that black stuff on the outside is the patina. <laughs> yep. But, you know, you do have a lot of patina climbing up the sides, the insides of your pods. True. And pans no, too. you no. got to get rid of that. No, 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 there's a tipping point where it's not There cool. is a tipping point. We could talk about cast iron for a sec because sure. it's my favorite cookware. Okay, so first of all, people always ask me how to season a cast iron pan. Yep. If you're buying a cast iron pan new, 
they come pre-seasoned they now. Do. So let's not worry about it. If you found a cast iron at a garage sale and you want to buy it, you're going to have to season it. Yep. So let's talk about that for a sec. So just what you do is you lightly coat it with a neutral flavored oil. Yep. You know, they say use mineral oil, but who's buying mineral oil? Just use, you know, your vegetable oil. And then either put it on the stovetop or put it in the oven and bake that oil on. Yep. Okay? You could do it a couple times. The truth of the matter is, Jamie, I never have seasoned a cast iron pan. I just, you know, work through the stick for the first few times, and it automatically seasons as you use it. But If you're using enough fat. If you use it enough, yeah. But the most important thing about a cast iron pan is cleaning it. Correct. So you can clean it with the scrubby part of your sponge. You cannot clean it with steel wool. Correct. You can clean it with soap. Yep. And you most certainly can clean it with that copper pad that I keep on talking about. Okay? Yep. So believe it or not. Now, the, really the most important thing is how you care for the pan once it's clean. Yes. So firstly, if you have stubborn, stubborn stuff, like sticky, gross stuff that you've used, that you're cooking with, and you can't, you don't think you could get it clean with even the copper cloth, what I do is I put some water, even soap and water, into the cast iron, and I boil it clean. So as I'm eating dinner, I put it on a light boil, mm-hmm. and when I finish eating dinner, just empty that soapy water or the water and use the copper cloth or use a cloth, and it will come clean seamlessly, you will see. Now, drying it is the most important part. So you're not drying it with a cloth. I mean, you can wipe it with a cloth, but dry it with heat. So put it on the stovetop if your oven is not still warm for dinner, and Put it on, and I usually set my timer because I always forget about it, and put it on for two, three minutes, nothing in the pan, and make sure you get the pores in the cast iron really dry because cast iron is porous. And if you've ever seen a cold, old cast iron pan that has rust on it, it's because it wasn't dried properly. Yes. Okay? What you're trying to do is avoid the residual liquids from creating mm-hmm. rust. Exactly. And your cast iron will be with you for the rest of your life. And I'm using it more and more. You know, when it's sub-zero, as it was a few months ago, and I wanted a steak, you know, I'm not going to stand out in the freezing cold, you know, for the steak. But, you know, I can butter-based strip loin on my cast iron just as effectively, and it's quite delicious. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people complain about how heavy they are. Have you ever noticed that? Well, they are heavy for their size. But, you know, our favorite brand make the lighter version a third lighter or so what's your I lighter. go I go for lodge what do you like I go for lodge I just you know I wasn't sure if we were allowed to talk about it but wow. yes lodge now makes something called Sherlock or something something like that something lock and it's two thirds or a third lighter than the original one and I bought it for my mom who's elderly and she could lift it and it's wonderful and it's just as good Hmm. I like my pan. I don't want to replace it, but that, that's good to know. Yeah. It has a nicer handle, too. Much more ergonomic, just so you know. Yeah. Okay. This is not about cast iron, this this talk, but I do love my cast iron. Yep. Okay. So now there's other things in your kitchen that need cleaning. Your trash can, your dishwasher, your microwave, the cabinets. Oh, my goodness. Right? Yep. So, you know, every once in a while, I'll do a big, deep clean on my kitchen, in my kitchen, and I actually clean the trash can. So what I like to do is I like to fill it with soapy water. I do it when the weather's nicer so I could use the hose outside. Sometimes I'll use the hose and I'll boil a kettle. So I'll pour the, I'll use the cold water from the hose with a little bit of hot water from the kettle. 
and I will clean it nicely. You all know how to clean something like that's plastic like that. But afterwards, I will make a mixture right in the trash can of a scented vinegar, you know, any kind of vinegar you want. I like apple cider vinegar Mm -hmm. and hot water, swirl it around and then dump it out. And if it's apple cider vinegar, you could actually dump it on, you know, outside because it's a natural product. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have a really beautiful scented trash can, which is nice. It is nice. Yeah, it's very nice. Okay, dishwasher. People always ask me in my cooking classes, how do you clean your dishwasher? You know, your clean dishwasher, how do you make it clean? So you run it empty, but before you run it empty, put some vinegar. I either use regular white vinegar or apple cider vinegar and a sprinkling of baking soda at the bottom and then run it empty and your dishwasher will be sparkling after. Well, that's good advice. We have time for one last tip. Okay, microwave, because that you do once a week, okay? Yep. So what I do is I put a little bowl of water. With lemon, right? Lemon, yeah, lemon slices, yeah. And you just want to make sure that that boils in the microwave. So maybe two minutes, put it in there. And then the most important part is leave the microwave door closed for five minutes after it's beeped so that it really gets steamy in there. It's not the boiling the water that matters. It's the steam afterwards. And after five minutes, you could open the door and everything will wipe clean and will smell really nice. Fantastic advice. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for coming on the show today. You're very welcome. It was nice being here. That was Carolyn Tanner Cohen. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Hi, this is Jamie Buston of The Tonic. If you enjoy The Tonic talk show and podcast, you'll love The Tonic newsletter. With links to the podcast and articles from the magazine, the newsletter will also let you know about upcoming health and wellness events, curated articles from across the internet that expand on the health and wellness topics important to you. There's contests and prizes and so much more. Best of all, it comes directly to you. To subscribe, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. The Tonic newsletter, you know for what ails you. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Hannah Khan guides and mentors people to work through seemingly unbreakable barriers, whether it be creating quantum leaps in their business or exceeding personal goals. She helps people challenge the thoughts and beliefs that are holding them back. Then, through extensive work, those thoughts and beliefs are replaced with ones that help supercharge her client's growth. As a peak performance coach and registered psychotherapist inactive, Hina has been a student of the mind, human behavior, and human potential for almost two decades. She's also a familiar face in the media and is called on as an expert for a number of television programs, podcasts, and delivers keynote presentations and training to entrepreneurs, organizations, and teams. For more information, you can visit hinnacon.ca. Welcome back to the show, Hina. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Jamie? Good. I was going back and forth today, deciding what we were <laughs> going to talk about. And then I realized that was the topic. We're going to talk about flip-flopping, right? That's absolutely right. So, you know, here's the thing. My style is I really take a long time to make 
you know, big decisions. I'm a very quick decision maker in the moment, but if it's a bigger decision, I take my sweet time, but then I stick to my guns. But I know a lot of people don't do that, do they? No, they don't. Most people have trouble making decisions. And the reason is we've never been taught this. We've never been taught how to make decisions. And we are forever going to other people polling people, whether we're putting polls on social media of what we should do, or we're asking all of our friends and our family, oh, and then we get the pros and cons list out. And what we do is we stay in this place actually of conflict. And what that feels like in our body, depending on what the decision is, is that it can feel like anxiety because you have these two opposing ideas like, should I do this? I don't know if I do this and this might happen. If I don't, if I do this, that might happen. And here's the thing. We usually look at it from the worst case scenario vantage point. For sure. Not from what if it could work? What if it could be better than I expected? What if it could be easy? And what we build is the idea of that worst case scenario. And then we go down that rabbit hole and it just leads to us not making a decision or the decision is made for us because time has enough time has passed that it has changed the game of that decision. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned two uh, what I would consider to be decision aids that I actually don't think negatively of. Like, I don't go to everybody and ask their opinion, but I frequently do go to trusted consigliaries. And, and I frequently act as consigliari to other people when they have decisions to make. And also, I sometimes find pros and con lists to be helpful. What I'm hearing from you isn't that those are unhelpful aids, but rather the context behind them. Like, don't use them as a fallback. Use them as a guide. Is that right? Absolutely. So here's the thing. We have our trusted advisors. We've got, you know, we've got some people that we go to. Yeah. But are they the right people? If they're the right people, meaning they are living a life or whatever the decision you have to make, they've got some experience in that, great. But if you're going to go to somebody and say, I want to just, I want to start my own business, and you're talking to somebody that has never taken a, you know, that, that, yeah. that is risk averse, yeah. and you're going to take their counsel, that is the wrong person. So, yes, to put it into context, thank you, Jamie, for bringing me back to saying, Hannah, let's have some context here. <laughs> to put it into context, absolutely, there's nothing wrong with talking with people and getting opinions. But I can tell you, I think most people, many people, get their opinions from people that are not doing what they want to do or have not done it. So they may not be the right people. So look at who you're getting advice from. And why you're going to that person, right? Because sometimes you go to a person to get advice because you know what they're going to tell you. Like, I know if I took something to my wife, she's going to tell me X. I know if I take it to my friend, he's going to tell me Y. And sometimes you're cherry picking, right? Like you're almost looking for the validation, (laughs) right? Like, because you go to the person who's going to tell you what you already know they're going to tell you, right? Exactly. And then here's the thing. Another reason why we want to go to people, and this is where you have to do your own self-reflection of why am I going to, why am I asking people and why am I asking this specific person? So sometimes we want to get validation and permission. Right. And then this way, if it, if it does not work out, we can say, well, you told me to. Remember, you were supporting me on doing this 100%. And then it's a way for us sometimes to shirk responsibility. Of course. yeah. Everybody thought it was a great idea. Well, no, they just didn't want to rain on your parade or they didn't want to, you know, not be supportive or, you know, sure, your mother thinks you're awesome. But if you ask her whether or not, you know, you're capable of doing X, Y or Z, she's going to tell you you can do it. So, you know. 
Uh, so I suppose depending on your mother. So how does indecision sort of set us back? What are the problems with indecision? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, we stay in that place of conflict. So the, the problem is not in necessarily making... The problem is that we don't want to feel uncomfortable and we want to get out of those feelings. And usually when we're making a decision, there could be some sort of stretch involved in us and that we're going into something that might be the unknown. Right. And this is where I say pros and cons this can be problematic at times because you can measure what you will lose, but you can't measure what you will gain. Because to be honest, you don't even know what that is yet. You may have some ideas, but it, but it probably will be better than you think. So when we are indecisive, one, we're wasting time. Yeah. We're wasting a lot of time. Second, it affects our confidence because we're not confident in ourselves. And it's not that what we are really not confident in is that will I have the bandwidth or the capacity to manage if this decision does not go as I'm hoping it will? Right. Will I have the mental capacity to do that? And then the other thing is that when we do start to make decisions quickly, and we start to, I mean, obviously keeping in context what kind of decisions they are, but we right. may get into the habit of making decisions, we are taking 100% responsibility for our results, too. The other thing is, is that you starve fear by making those decisions, too, because you're not in that, you know, push and pull place. So it makes a huge difference. It can make a difference on you moving on something, on you putting your hat in the ring for that promotion, which can affect your revenue. It can make, it can make the difference in your relationship. And in all aspects of your life, in your health, so it affects everything. I think you have to sort of look back to the success rate of previous decision making. If in your past, you know, you've achieved success by acting quickly, then that should be a factor in future decision making. If you do better sort of, you know, making lists or asking people and not being emotional about your decisions, then that's the route you should go. Because I think people have a wheelhouse. Like I know, for example, I am extremely, extremely good at taking advantage of situations. I see them faster than virtually anybody I know, and I'm prepared to act on them as quickly as I need to. But that's me. And then in certain types of other decision-making, I'm perhaps not as strong. And I think you have to play to your strengths, don't you? Yes. However, yeah. you want to... <laughs> This is when I slow down. Yeah. So I can gather my thoughts because I feel like it's going to be a mic drop moment for me. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. However, we also don't want history to put limitations on us. True. So, yes, we play to our strengths. But you know what, Jamie? Like, I'm really good at making decisions, but I wasn't years ago, and I had to create a habit of making decisions and learn how to do this. And, and, and it doesn't, it's not even with the big things, it can be with, small things. And that's where you want to start with things like, what restaurant are you going to go to? What will you order? I have to tell you this. I was working with a couple, so male, female, married couple. Mm -hmm. And she, in this relationship, made all the decisions. And to the point where, and she resented that too. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to be making all the decisions, but that was the dynamic of the relationship. And so even if he would go to the store, let's say, to pick up groceries, he would text her and say to her, uh, if, there, if it was a decision between red or green apples, which one, you know, what her thoughts were on it. So when we worked together, what we started with was you make your own decisions 
and it's fine. Whatever you choose, it will be fine. And you don't text her to do that. So we started with these, we started with these slow ways of doing it that were inconsequential, but to build the muscle of making decisions. Oh, yeah. No, what I said before presumes that you've had some level of success in decision making, right? Yes. Like if you haven't, then I would say the quite the opposite. Like, so, for example, if if you've made a series of decisions that haven't worked well for you, well, then maybe it's time to change the process, right? Because what you're doing isn't working and to continue doing it is folly. So absolutely, absolutely. And for sure, like you play to your strengths and you look at it and you can always ask yourself, and how can I get better? Right, exactly. What does better look like? Like, you know, sometimes when I work with clients, we call this the knowing-doing gap, too. When you know what to do, but you're not doing it. And sometimes in between that knowing-doing gap is a decision to be made. So I think that you, you want to look at how getting better at making decisions can then affect certain areas of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. We have time for one last question, and, and, and I suppose picking up from what you just said is, how can we get better at making decisions? Okay, so this is going to be something that some people <laughs> may be like, what? So some of the reasons we have trouble making a decision is because we go straight to the how, and then we don't know how to do it. And so we think, well, I can't make the decision until I research a lot more. Yep. And you got to be careful. Are you one of those people that is always forever putting, getting their ducks in a row? So one of the things that you can do is actually to yourself, put a condition that I'm going to make a decision within 24 hours. I'm going to make a decision within a week, depending on what the stakes are with that decision. Right. And get into that. So you could put a time on it, which helps you have a container in which to make the decision. The other thing is, Make the decision even if you don't know how. And one of the ways that I tell my, one of the things I tell my clients is the how is none of your business. So put the how to the side. If the how is none of your business and get back to like, what do you want? And then take a hundred percent responsibility for your decision and look at what you can gain as opposed to going down the track of what you can lose or what you might lose. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. It was a pleasure. That was Hina Khan. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of the Tonic Magazine. The Tonic is published six times a year and is delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. It's also available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. And if you miss it, you can also read The Tonic online at thetonic.ca. Hey, if you like The Tonic Talk Show, I know you'll love The Tonic Magazine. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. 
New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric-coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dominic Dubay and his partner and co-founder Claudia Poulain have changed the way eating is perceived by developing frozen meal cubes that are flavorful, packed with all the necessary nutrients required for a wholesome diet, and ready in under five minutes. When you feel better, you perform better. Dubay believes that time and money should not have to be someone's obstacle to eating healthy, and that's what Aviv represents. Dubay is a truly authentic and transparent in his goal for the company, which is to promote healthy eating, reduce the ecological footprint, and empower people through a tightly knit community of like-minded individuals. Since first launching the blender-free smoothies known as Aviv, Dubay keeps building his business and brand alongside 40 employees by continuously evolving and adding new products and creating new recipes that can be enjoyed by all. Dominic Dubay and his team inspire others who want to be healthier and live their fullest potential without having to sacrifice in the process. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Thank you, Jamie. Great intro. Thank, thanks so much. I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm very good. Yourself? I'm doing well because I eat healthy. So how, right. <laughs> how did you and your partner actually start Aviv? We started Aviv actually seven years ago, and uh, it was right after college. We both studied at the University of Sherbrooke, Quebec. And back then, my partner, Claudia, was, uh, had been plant-based for numerous years. And one of her um, secrets was to make a smoothie, very complete smoothie, every single morning as part of her uh, nutrition or diet. And it was working extremely well for her and for me because I was, I was lucky enough to have a smoothie every day. And, um, yeah. But the thing we realized is that keeping that habit, although it was super successful for us in terms of feeling great, it was super hard because every morning you had to get all the ingredients, you know, you had to get the blenders, it was making a ton of noise, and you had to clean the mess afterwards. And so, you know, you do it for a couple of weeks, and then, you know, you, you forget, and you come back to it. And, and we thought of, how can we make this simpler so we can stick to this good habit? So we start pre-making them in the smoothies in little cubes, in ice cube trays. And so in the morning, we'd just pop the cubes in a shaker bottle or a mason jar, we would add water or plant-based milk, and on our way to school, we would just shake it up. And it was a blender-free smoothie with the same quality as if we had made it the, the same morning. And that was just like this haha moment where we were like, okay, like we have something here that really makes it easy to eat uh, healthy. And so we started selling it around, and uh, we entered grocery stores door by door. We did demos every single weekend, you know, to get this, this idea out there. And, uh, you know, over time, over seven years, we're in uh, uh, a little bit over uh, 2,000 uh, grocery stores across Canada and the U.S., and uh, we have an amazing community online also uh, supporting us and also, uh, you know, supporting us in new innovation outside of the smoothie realm now. Well, you know, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because the, the hurdles to eating healthy, particularly with smoothies, as you mentioned, is just sort of the pain of putting everything together. And, yeah. you know, like some people have the super strong uh, blenders, you know, like the Vitamixes that you need to, and yeah. some people don't. And, you know, sometimes you make them and they're not so aesthetically pleasing. They look like brown sludge. And then, yeah. you know, other times yeah. you might get lucky and, and hit upon one that's great, but then you forget you know, the recipe and <laughs> it's not as good the next time. 
time. Yeah, you're you know, 100% right. Right? Like, it's, I, it's, I've been it's through not, it. Yeah, it's, it's not just the time. It's also knowing how to assemble it. Exactly. So it tastes great. It's really nutrient-dense, and it checks all those old boxes, protein, fibers, nutrients, vitamins. So it's also that, and, and, and that's why we say, like, we, we make it attainable for people by the taste, by the simplicity of it. And, you know, it's worked for us, the people around us, and for so many clients that we're pretty pretty excited for the years to come, you know, growing in the U.S. and also launching in new categories to, to replicate that for snacking and meals. And so, yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, so we, we touched upon this. Yep. So are you the flavor master? Are you the one who develops, like, the great-tasting smoothies? Or? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> it's, my, it's my wife. I uh, seven years ago, she was making the smoothies. Uh, she, she's a mastermind. I, I, I can barely do a banana strawberry smoothie myself. So I, I'm the perfect if you consumer. I just, you know, enjoy it so much because I couldn't do it myself. But, yeah, she's designing the recipes still. And I'm more other categories, like for meals, and we're launching a muffin line. Mm-hmm. That's more my jam. Like, I love to cook things that are warm and she loves to, 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 to make smoothies so we have all her we both have her, her, her area of expertise yeah but we're supported by a great team as well but like do you have to give the thumbs up or the thumbs down before before the flavors get processed like i mean i presume oh, uh, at the top of the pyramid you've got to give the thumbs up or the thumbs down right <laughs> yeah yeah but but it's, it's mostly claudia uh, that is the final judge of everything we, we we do okay but you you have a favorite flavor i bet yeah yeah Oh, yeah. That, so what's yeah. your favorite? What's the showstopper? Two years ago, we launched a protein line, and, and that yeah. was something I was discussing with Chloe. I'm like, you know what, Chloe? I'm, I'm adding a scoop of protein every morning, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I train in the morning. Yep. And then we're like, well, let's do let's do a couple of smoothies that, that would already have that scoop of, of plant-based protein inside. And so we developed this line. Mm-hmm. That's what I fuel on. So you have 18 grams of vegan protein and also all the... It's not, just, it's not just a shake because you have it's a smoothie. You have the raw fruits, veggies, superfood, and the vegan protein. So uh, there's there's one with uh, mocha cashew. Yeah, that would be my my go-to. <laughs> like cashew is one of my favorites. Like I make oatmeal every morning and I put cashew yeah. butter in it. Yeah. So is is this like a raw cashew or are they cooked through? Like how does it work? Yeah, they're, they're uh, roasted cashews that we blend with the smoothies. Beautiful. And yeah, and then uh, we use a cold brew coffee. Also inside, so it's not the coffee flavor. It's actually cold brew coffee. So it's a, it's a fantastic uh, recipe, yeah. Okay, so you just mentioned that you drink your smoothies in the morning because that's when you work out. Yeah. So why else would somebody want to have a smoothie in the morning if they weren't working out? What are some of the health benefits? Yeah, it's a great question. So when we designed, when we made those smoothies, we took Colia's recipe, and, and they were really made to support her for the whole morning. It was, it was her breakfast. Mm-hmm. So it's not only fruits and vegetables. We're talking like superfood, like hemp seeds, spirulina, chia seed, baobab, moringa, like awesome superfood that we're not used to, to buy and use because what do you do with chlorella and spirulina? Where do you put? How much do you put? Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, it's, it's all very new, right? Um, so they're very nutrient-dense. We're talking like six to nine vitamins that you have an excellent source, meaning you have more than 20% of your daily value inside a single smoothie. And then you have the plant-based protein in between 6 to 18 grams, depending on the recipes. And then you have fiber. So they're really balanced out with the superfood that we use to, 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 to fill you up. It also depends, you know, how much you eat for breakfast 
But right. uh, I'd say for most people, you can have it as a breakfast. So the formulations of the smoothies are... Di- I was online and I was looking at the, at the various smoothies. Some of them have certain nutrients and some of them have others. Yeah. Can somebody search online, like if they're looking for something in particular or if they want to add something to their diet, can you search by way of ingredients or how would you go about choosing which, which ones to get? That, that would be a great idea. <laughs> I love that. I love that search. Uh, uh, and you'll, and you'll send me my royalty when you do it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as we get it, right. Yeah. But um, no, it, it, we don't have that right now. Uh, we have, uh, I believe, 14 flavors. Yeah. And uh, you have the protein line. So per se, you, you really are looking into more protein content. Then you, yeah. you can scroll into that protein line. For the rest, they all have, or most of them have, uh, uh, that blend of superfood that really boosts the vitamin content. But but you're right, it, it varies from one or, or another. So uh, I'd say they, they pretty much all balance out. But per se, you really want to have lower sugar and higher fiber, yeah. and you'd need to open them up and, and see which one fits better your needs. Well, I, when I went on the website, I noticed like you do signify which ones. Like, you, you can see how much sugar content is there. I know you don't oh, add yeah. sugar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that some of the ingredients you have are organic, right? You're sourcing organic as well? Yeah, so we have a, a golden rule out of Eve where every product we do and we're ever going to do is 70% of the ingredients inside and is, is uh, by weight is certified organic. Mm. And the other rules to that is that all, all the dirty dozen, that is a list of the worst fruits and vegetables, the one that has the most pesticides. Yep. All of them, we purchase them organic. So, so we really, uh, you know, we built those rules because personally, Chloe and I, we, we eat mostly organic. And we believe a lot in organic, uh, the, the organic philosophy. But going after 100% organic would have made the, the product much more expensive. And accessibility was, um, was really, really key. So for us, it was those two rules. 70% of the ingredients are organic, and all of the dirty dozen are organic certified. Fantastic. We have time for one last question. And that is, I understand you're, you're aiming for carbon neutrality, and you have an initiative called the Plant-a-Tree Initiative. Can you explain a bit about that? Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's very dear uh, to me this project because my uh, all my life with my father we uh, we always did the tree plantation that that, that was what he was uh, doing and we had uh, uh, we've done numerous projects like that and so for Aviv you know when I uh, when we started I I, I want to compensate our carbon emission by planting Aviv forest so every year we plant an Aviv forest here in uh, Quebec Canada um, to compensate uh, part of our carbon emission and by 2023. The goal is that we'll compensate 100% of our carbon emission, uh, which would make the company carbon neutral. So great project. And every people that, that buys online and support us, uh, we set aside a, a, some money to plant those trees at the end of the year. Fantastic. For those who are interested in Aviv, what's the website? www.evivenutrition. So it's evivenutrition.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great, great conversation. Thank you. That was Dominic Dubay. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Ludo Brunel, ND, Carolyn Tanner-Cohen, Hina Khan, and Dominic Dubay. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. 
The March-April issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.